The Sons of Saturday podcast is brought to you by our friends at Main Street Pharmacy. Located right on Main Street in Blacksburg, Virginia, Main Street Pharmacy is proudly owned by a Hokie family and has been a partner of this podcast since 2020. MSP offers free delivery, curbside pickup, and vaccinations as well. If you are a student or resident in the Blacksburg area, you can always trust that at Main Street Pharmacy, you are not just a number, you are a neighbor. What's up, sons and daughters? It is Sam Jesse, and I am back with Tech Sideline baseball beat reporter, writer, the guy who covers baseball probably better than anybody in Virginia Tech, Chris Hirons. Chris, welcome back. The Hokey Ball Show, March 1st, 2023. This is March, but we're not talking college basketball. We're talking college baseball as the Hokies are off to a hot 6-2 and two start. Previously, uh, D1 Baseball came out with their updated national rankings. The Hokies, number 11 in the country. That's up three spots from their preseason ranking of number 14. Quick plug for everything in the Section 5 Podcasting Network. We have some awesome baseball coverage that's going to continue to happen this spring. Locks of Saturday, Queens of the Castle, Upper 90, all all that stuff. Be sure to hit it up. Um, Some great stuff coming at you this spring and summer. Chris, welcome back on the show, dude. Yeah, good, good to be back. I I mean, we'll just get right into it. This is how we'll do these shows coming up. We will we'll go back and look at everything that happened uh, since we last talked. We'll do it probably every two weeks while we're doing the non-conference season. We'll look at each game real quick. Then we will talk about three things that we loved, something that we think needs to improve, and we'll give you a player of the week, or in this case, Weeks, And then we'll also look forward to the games coming up for the Hokies. So pretty simple stuff, but should be a lot of fun because the Hokies played pretty darn well, although it didn't start great for the Hokies playing down against a really good College of Charleston team. Game one, five to two loss. Ty Good is very good for College of Charleston, definitely a guy who will be picked in the MLB draft. He pitched five innings, only gave up one hit, recorded six strikeouts. Hokies had a lead in that game, but then a Kyrie Miller grand slam in the bottom of the sixth, just a little too much for the Hokies. They lose the opener five to two, but game two was a totally different story. The Hokies, a 12-3 win over the Cougars in that one. Jack Hurley, Inside the park, two RBI home run. Technically, it was a triple that advanced on an error, but we're going to give him the inside the park home run, right? Yeah, I mean, when I was there, I was watching it, and, you know, you could make the case for an error, but I don't know. On a play like that, it looked like a Little League home run. Just just give it. It's still a little <laughs> – regardless of the error, it's still a Little League home run. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, Hokies had nine runs in the seventh and eighth inning. Henry Weicker came on and threw absolute gas in this game. Four and a third innings pitch, three hits, one walk, 10 Ks 
for the bullpen arm. Hokies again win that one 12 to three. And then in game three, much of the same 15 to two win for the Hokies. Again, they were down early in this one, but a couple of sack flies by Chris Canazaro and Carson Martini in the third gave the Hokies the lead. Garrett Mitchell. Is it Michelle? I've heard it multiple ways on broadcast. I believe it's Michelle. It's Michelle. Okay. That sounds a lot better. Mm-hmm. Doubled in the fourth to start a big fourth inning. And I think a story of that series was College of Charleston, brand spanking new field, nice facilities they've got. They put in a turf field, a lot of pros, a lot of cons. It looked like College of Charleston players had never played on a turf field before. They had six errors in the game on Sunday, 10 errors in the series. Well, do you think that actually played a part in this? Because at least on the broadcast, they talked about these guys don't look super comfortable. Yeah, no, I, it definitely did. Uh, I was talking with their uh, with college, college of Charleston's uh, sports information director, and he said it was their first series that they had uh, gotten to play on the brand new field. You could see like every time the ball like skidded across the turf, um, there was, there was sand that bounced up. Like it, it really looked like Charles. Like it was the first time like they had played on turf. Um, obviously, it was it was the first time at that stadium. But I mean, Tech looked right at home since English Field is on turf. But yeah, I mean the the defense. I mean, it's just for Charleston, it wasn't good. I mean. But for Tech, on the flip side, though, I mean, the defense that series, and especially on Sunday, was great. Um, Carson Demartini, man, I mean, he he's an elite third baseman, and he made he made that known against uh, uh, um, that weekend playing on the turf. Didn't have a didn't have any trouble feeling the ball coming up on a uh, um, on something slow or uh, picking the ball out of the uh, out of the dirt on a short hop, but like. You know, Tech just looked right at home, and College of Charleston, like it just that field definitely gave them some issues. I don't know how or how how much practice they got on before. I had heard that maybe like how was it phrased to me? It was phrased that like it was finished like just before the season started. So I think that's I think, part of it too. I think on the broadcast they said they were practicing for a couple weeks beforehand on a travel ball field that was turf yeah, in the that's area. What it was. And um, it had also was kind of wet conditions there for a little bit. So mm. slick turf uh, and baseball doesn't really match. But Hokies win that one comfortably in those last two games. Definitely felt good to get a lot of runs in the first series. Uh, pitching in game three, I thought was really good. Anthony Arguez, um, you know, four innings pitch, four hits, six Ks. He, he looks like, I was a little worried that he maybe wouldn't have the the stamina of a starting pitching quite yet. I, I think he's looked pretty good. We'll get into some other of his starts. His stuff is pretty pretty good. Uh, Grant Umberger, three innings, gave up no earned runs. Griffin Steeg, a guy who they think can really help them early on in his career, two innings, only one earned run. Thoughts on the College of Charleston series? I thought that's a, that's a good team. Yeah. So I I thought I thought it went exactly the way it was going to go. Um, I thought, you know, Tech had a chance to sweep, but that is a very, very good opponent. You know, you're driving, you're on the bus Thursday after, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. You get in Thursday evening, you're driving down six six hours down there um, for Tech. And, like, you know, he came out a little a little flat on on Friday, but, I mean, I thought that was expected. Ty Good, like you said, is he, was, he, he looks very, very good. 
on the mound. So, I mean, I, I wasn't super surprised that they kind of came out a little flat offensively on, um, on Friday, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they were a grand slam away from winning that game. Kieran Higgins left the slider up in the zone. Um, I mean that, that stuff just happens. Like, I mean, that's baseball, but game two, game three tech tech really kind of started to piece it together. They got a lot of help from Charleston's, you know, pretty, pretty bad defense. Um, and you know, the slick turf that they had, but, you know, I thought it was a very positive series. The team, you know, learned how to lose together, and then they also learned how to win together. What do you? Yeah, yeah, and that's um, look, it's never too early to start thinking about tournament resume, and that's a College of Charleston team that is widely expected to win the CAA this year, the, the Colonial Athletic Association. So when you go up against a team like that, who is returning a lot of their production, they're returning two arms that will probably get drafted you feel really good about that win and and you don't have a ton of opportunities to get important non-conference wins in college baseball like they don't come very often so the opportunity to win two out of three on the road against the team that's probably going to win their conference that's a really positive weekend for the Hokies the Hokies came home and played uh what seems to be their annual game against East Tennessee State 15 to 5 win. Kiernan Higgins got the start, was almost perfect, had one walk in there. He was really good. Are we expect is he the fourth starter of this team? No, he's not. He's he's gonna come out of the bullpen. Um so Christian War- Warley was supposed to throw that day. Uh, I asked Chef about it uh I guess after the game, and he said that, that Warley that day was just feeling like a little like tender on the back of his bicep, if that makes sense. Uh, he said he, he was, he's close to hundred, like he was close to hundred percent that day, but he's not going to run anyone out there, especially this early in the season. It was a little chilly that day. So there's no, you know, there was no, it wasn't worth running the risk of injuring Worley further. So that's why they went with Kiernan Higgins, who um, had, um, he started at Shippensburg up in, Pennsylvania or Maryland is where Shippensburg is. He started there at the D2 level a few, a few times. Um, and then, but in, he, he transitioned to the bullpen, not last summer, but the summer before. And that's where, you know, he's been for tech. Yeah. And I, I think it was just a good day for the Hokies, get a bullpen day in there, um, score 15 runs home opener. You can't ask for more than that. Really. I, I think going forward for the Hokies, those bullpen days, in the next couple of weeks will be really important to see like, all right, these are the guys we can really rely on. These are the guys who are feeling themselves because they're, they play Miami here pretty soon. Right. And you want to know exactly who your guys are and what they can do going into that. So I, I like having those bullpen days like that, but Hokies 15 to five wins over the Buccaneers. Now the Hokies, another home series against the Bryant Bulldogs, a, historically very, very good Bryant program. They're in a new conference this year. And again, uh, I believe they're in the New England conference this year. Uh, NEC? Or they left the NEC to join the American East. That's what it was. Um, So it's basically them and UMass Lowell, who the Hokies will play uh, coming up here as the favorites to win that conference. So again, a two-to-one series win against Bryant, potentially another win against a team in the tournament. 7-3 Seven to three loss to start game one. Uh, Coleman Picard for Bryant was unreal. Uh, 12 Ks and five innings pitched. You were there, you saw it. 
Hoagies just kind of had trouble with them. Yeah, I mean, they they it's not that they totally struggle against them. Like they had they hit them, they had a few doubles. It's just, you know, he just he was able to dot up his curveball so well and his slider so well. He couldn't miss a spot. And that's really what kind of you know led to tech struggles. They, you know, I was talking to a few players, they said they were sitting on fastballs. And then all of a sudden, it'd be a one-one count. They'd be sending on a fastball, and then the Col- Coleman Picard would drop a curveball in there. So I mean, it was it was a guy who kind of you know pitched against a normal tendency when it comes to pitching. Um, but I mean, you just I, you're just gonna have days like those. I mean, it's baseball. Like I, I saw a ton of people on Twitter, you know, be saying, "How in the world are you using a school called like named Bryant? I've never heard of the school." that's baseball. Like you're going to lose these games. You're going to, you're going to face some guy who you never heard of, and he's going to dot you up for, you know, 12 strikeouts in five innings. Yeah. And if you've never heard of Bryant, you probably don't follow college baseball very closely. They've won their conference like 10 out of the last 11 years or something. Uh, I think this series and, and the college of Charleston series, very similar to what the Hokies had with Wright state where, to start last year where you're playing a team that you know is pretty good, but a mid-major, you should beat mid-major, low major, you should beat them. And you maybe don't play your best of the first series, but then you turn it on. And who knows, like last year, the Hokies ended up playing Wright State in the regional. So we'll see about that. Seven to three loss for the first game. Griffin Green pitched okay. I think a little unfortunate for Green that the two losses have come in his starts, but maybe haven't seen his best pitching yet. I think, I think he would agree with that. Um, I think the box score doesn't, he was better than what the box score says. He had, he, he he got a little unlucky in the second inning. There was some, some bad defense there. The first inning he gave the two runs. Um, I think those were on him and the second inning. I think like, I think that was where kind of the defense let that game kind of get away. And then the the sixth inning, he, he threw five plus. He he threw. He was throwing well. Um, he settled in in the uh, third, fourth, and fifth pretty well through three straight shutout innings. And he, he got out. He got out. He walked the first batter of the sixth, hit the next guy, and you know, uh, War, Christian Worley almost worked out of the jam with two outs, but then yielded a double. Um, you know, just kind of one of those days for Tech. Yeah, and those days will happen. And I think, you know, looking at back to the first game against college of Charleston, where you basically lose on a grand slam this game, the Hokies get nine hits only results in three runs. Bryant gets seven hits results in seven runs. Something early on for the Hokies is they're having a tendency for very little contact on the other side to create maximum damage almost. And that's just, that's baseball. Like that happens. Right. But you really need to limit the the free bases, the walks, you know, errors, the hit by pitch, because those add up really quickly. And even if you have a really good profit pitching performance, you can end up yielding a, a lot of runs. So something early, I think the Hokies would like to, I guess, you know, chef is really big on free bases. So mm-hmm. I'm sure they've heard a lot about that. Just cleaning things up a little bit there. Game two, Four to one win. Garrick Ebel and Eddie Isert were solo shots in the third. It was good to see those two guys get some um, get some power hits, especially Garrick Ebel. I thought um, felt really 
felt really good for him to do something good at the plate. That's kind of where he's needed to improve a little bit. So great to see him hit a dinger. Drew Hackenberg was Drew Hackenberg, seven innings pitched, 10 Ks, no earned runs. Henry Weicker came in and did much of the same, two innings pitched, one hit, three Ks, no earned runs. Probably the best pitching duo performance we've seen from the Hokies this year. Um, can't really ask for much better. And really exciting that Henry Weicker looks to be the guy out of the pen. Like he's looked virtually unhittable. Yeah. I mean, Weicker, that the the Saturday Charleston game, I mean, he was he was great. I mean, it was just one strike it after another after another. And then, you know, he turns around and to do it a week later, um, strike out three and in two innings, like that looked great. But I mean, Drew Hackenberg on Saturday. I mean, he was set a career high in strikeouts with ten. Um, I thought it was interesting. A little little note that I tweeted post game. Um, that was the debut of uh, Pitchcom for Virginia Tech. It was the first mm-hmm. time they ever used something like that. Um, and for those of you that don't know, we'll get into it later. Um, it's a wristband that's worn by the pitcher and the catcher, obviously, to know which pitch is coming. Um, instead of doing the radio, which Tech used to do to relay that the the signs to the catcher. Um, but even some of the infielders were wearing the pitch comm, so they knew which pitch was coming and where to position themselves when there were runners on base or runners not on base, all that stuff. This is a question because, because I don't know. You can do pretty much almost whatever you want to do in order to get the pitches in now. You can have a coach call it from the dugout. You can do pitch comm. You can still use the old-fashioned signs. Mm-hmm. I've seen Hokies have used signs this season, but they've also gone to pitchcom. Do you, are they just kind of testing the waters with stuff? So they they ran into the pace of play issue a few times in Charleston um, when they were pitching the new action clock because um, they because pitching coach Ryan Fecto would talk in the walkie talkie. Um, it would get relayed to. Gary Ebel or Brody Donay's ear, and then he would do the signs. Now to, you know, kind of fix that pace of play issue, Tech saw that uh, College of Charleston, I don't know why it's so hard to pronounce today, um, they were using that uh, during that series. And, you know, they decided on Saturday, you know, we're going to, let's let's try, let's try pitch calm. Let's see how this works. Drew Hackenberg loved it. Gary Ebel, he liked it, uh, is what he said. Um, he evil joked after the game and said, you know, he accidentally put down a few, a few signs just out of habit. And then they ended up using it on Sunday and then they used it last, last night against Radford. So I think it's something that tech, you know, I think they'll use in the future. I don't know if every pitcher will use it. Um, cause Griffin green has yet to, um, from what I understand, but I think it's, I think it's something that tech will probably use, uh, on a day in day out basis now. Yeah, I find that interesting with baseball is just kind of the dynamic of how to get signs in, how to relay that information quickly, because that's really the strategy part of the game that makes it so unique. And I, I'm i old school. I would love the catcher just sitting back there calling the pitches. Um, that's more of a major league thing. But hey, it, if it works, it works. And if you get 10 strikeouts, I think you're going to do it the next start as well. So yeah, I, I it, yeah, just going back to the whole... Uh the whole like, you know, old fashioned baseball with the signs. 
it does look a little weird some, when you're watching on TV when the pitcher's looking down at his wrists instead of looking in for the sign. That's just something I noticed. It's just it's a little funny. Well, Hokies didn't have much issue in game three either. 15 to eight wins. Actually, I take that back. There were some issues in the 15 to eight. First off, giving eight, giving up eight runs, you, not a great number to give up. Um, some issues with the battery early. Anthony Arguez, again, I thought had good stuff. Box score might have been a little unkind to him. Uh, they had a run on a throwing error by Danae where he was throwing down to third and then a wild pitch by Arguez. Those were a couple runs there for Bryant. I th- I think that'll work itself out as the season goes on, but you don't really want battery errors. That can that that sucks. So you want to clean that up a bit. Although when you have a seven run second inning, that kind of covers up for a lot of issues. Eduardo Malinowski with a big double to start that one, and then yet another inside the park home run. This one a true inside the park home run for Danae. Let's talk about Danae a bit. He's a freshman catcher. Six five, six six. He's a really big guy. Yeah. Uh, what so, can he bring to this team? Because physically, he's a menace. I mean, he's a big guy. I mean, I've been in the room with both Elizabeth Kitley and Brody Donay, not at the same time, but I'm. I think he's taller than Elizabeth Kitley, who's six six. Um, I I think he's six seven. He looks every bit at six seven, but he's he's a big guy. And when he swings, it doesn't even look like he's swinging that hard. But his average exit velocity usually is anywhere from 98 to like 108 miles an hour. Like it is, I don't know how he does it. It's it doesn't even look like he's swinging that hard. Um, it's it's truly just a wonder to me how he swings that hard. Even on the the inside the park home run, I think that exit velocity was like 114 miles an hour on a 40 degree launch angle, which on a 40 degree launch angle, usually that just, that's a normal flyout. But that ball, I, I watched and I was like, oh, it's just a normal flyout to center field. And that ball just kept carrying and carrying and carrying and then ended, and then ends up bouncing right in front of the wall. I think, you know, he's going to be one of your power bats. I don't know if he's going to stick at catcher. Um, obviously, we've seen, you know, a little bit of defensive struggles, but, you know, you can also kind of expect that for a freshman catcher who's yeah. 6'6. Uh, just kind of getting his feet wet in college baseball. So I, I wouldn't say the defensive struggles are anything to worry about a lot yet. Maybe in a few years, if he's still behind the plate and he still has a, throwing, a few throwing errors, but I think I think he's going to be a pretty, pretty big bat in Tech's lineup for at least the next three years. Yeah, very good to hear. Um, again, he's a really exciting prospect. Um, has a little bit of ways to go defensively, but uh, having Gary Gable, a veteran back there that you can rely on is also really nice. Thoughts on this series? Uh, again, like I said, potentially a series win against the tournament team. W- between Brian and UMass Law, who the Hokies will play, if they win both of those series and the College of Charleston series, you feel pretty good about having two series wins against teams in the field. Yeah, and you can even throw in Charlotte. Uh, oh, week. yeah, of course. We'll talk yeah, about Charlotte. Uh, yeah, I mean, they'll be they'll be a tournament team, but... I mean, you have Bryant who will, I don't know if I'd say probably, but has a solid chance at making the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. You, I Again, I thought this weekend went as much the same as it did with um, the College of Charleston. You know, I was like, you know, I don't know if Tech will sweep, but they'll definitely take two out of three. Um, you know, and you'll have games like Friday where, you know, it's, the bats just don't come alive. 
that stuff happens. But, you know, and I just think maybe as a baseball player, it's a little sweet. It's a little sweeter to win the series when, you know, you're kind of playing from behind on Saturday and Sunday, you know, you drop that Friday game, but it's sweeter to win the series that way, kind of just take the momentum out of them. And another thing I'll say about Bryant is that, yeah, okay. They came in 0 and 3 against high point. Who's, you know, they're, they're not going to be very good this season, but Bryant was in all three of those games. They ended up getting walked off on a grand slam on the Friday night game, their opener. Um, and then the Saturday and Sunday, I forget those final scores, but those were also close games. So they're not, a, they weren't a true 0 and 3 team coming in and they're not a true one and five team going out. I, I'll just put that there with Bryant. Yeah. And again, reminds me a lot of the Wright state series or Wright state. I think they, uh, they lost on like multiple walk-offs to Georgia tech and Oklahoma mm-hmm. state before they ended up playing the Hokies. So, um, a good series win, you'll take it and you move on to the Sharkies classic, the most illustrious rivalry in the new river Valley, the Hokies 17 to two winners over Radford, a uh, shout out to my longtime friend and amazing, uh, baseball broadcaster, Evan Hughes, for somehow solo calling a 17 to two baseball game by himself and doing a good job. Kudos to you, Evan. You're the best in the business, man. Um, I I mean, 17 to two basically tells you what you need to know about this game, right? Yes. And no, I mean, it tells you that tech's offense was great, right? You know, you come to expect that with Radford, who was picked last in uh, the big South, you know, but you also got these debuts from, Nick Finarelli, Jacob Exum, Luke Jackman, uh, and then all three of those on the bump. And then you had Carter Newman's uh, collegiate debut. He hits a home run in the eighth. And then Warren Holzemer, a sophomore infielder, he ends up, uh, he, he collects his first career hit. I thought that you saw a lot of good, even though the score was 17 to two. And, you know, you're thinking the, the game, the game was over by the fourth inning, but you know, you it allowed for, you know, Jacob Exum, you know, a freshman who's probably not going to pitch a lot this year. And Luke Jackman, who redshirted last year, didn't play. Um, you know, it allowed them to kind of, you know, get some game action. You know, they practice just as hard as everyone else. They, they're on the team. They're going to everything that everyone else is, but but they're just not playing. I thought it was good to see them get in the game. Nick Frenrelli, though, he'll – he should be he should be an arm that tech might use more midweeks. Um he started yesterday, he threw 14 sh- pitches, nine of them were strikes, struck out the two of the first four hitters he faced. Um he looked he or two of the five hitters he faced, I take that back. But he looked he looked good. Um he got the start instead of Ryan Kennedy, who's a freshman from Northern Virginia, who's supposed to be the midweek guy. Um Chef said that Kennedy's dealing with an elbow issue right now. Um, it's nothing like super concerning. It's just more of, you know, he's not going to run a guy out there. Who's not a hundred percent. I, this is, I made an error. I forgot maybe the most important bullet point of the Bryant series. Chris Kenners are a hit for the cycle with two. Right. Runs. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, we'll talk about that later. We talk about that later, but, um, yeah, I mean, just a crazy, crazy day for the Bucknell transfer. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, also, we're talking about freshman pitchers. Uh, Tommy Shapansky mm-hmm. struck out the side in the ninth. You can't, you you literally cannot do better than that as a pitcher. So the Hokies 
freshman arms looks like they have a good core of guys that they brought in. It does. Uh, Griffin, Griffin Stieg, I've heard it's Stig. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I'll ask him when I get the chance to talk to him, but he, he's looked, he's looked pretty good in his first few outings. Uh, he pitched a scoreless eighth on sa- sun, Sunday, Sunday. Uh, he pitched a scoreless eight on Sunday and then Shapansky followed that up. Um, Stieg, I know chef wants to use him on the weekends. Um, tech, you know, and you know, with Shapansky though, I think they want to use this year more as a developmental year, get him in games that are kind of blowouts. I mean, unless like, you know, he kind of does his thing and blowouts and pitches really well. Um, I think that's how tech is kind of treating Shapansky kind of like Tyler Dean, who, you know, a very highly recruited guy just, Hasn't put it all together yet, but they'll both be very, very good in years to come. Yeah, really exciting stuff. Let's talk about three things that we loved from the first couple of weeks. Uh, my first thing is kind of obvious. Uh, Hokies are averaging over 10 runs a game. There doesn't seem to be a huge drop off in the offense. And that's of yet. They haven't faced ACC pitching yet. But so far, the offense looks to be just as good as, as last year in terms of putting up runs. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the offense, obviously they haven't faced, uh, you know, Miami or Florida state or any of those arms, but they've still hit some quality pitching. Um, you know, college of Charleston, they're no pushover. I mean, they were solid. Um, and then Bryant, Bryant also wasn't a pushover. Obviously, they they didn't look that great against the Friday guy, but I thought, you know, I thought you know, the the bats came alive. And ETSU is supposed to be a pretty good team in the SoCon. None none of the teams that Tech have has faced are pushovers, except maybe Radford. Um, yeah, but- Rad- I I will say Radford looked not great. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got to go. They're playing uh NC state tonight now too. So yeah. Um, but that's a, that's a, they'll figure it, they'll figure it out. They got a new coach. They'll figure it out. Yeah. But I mean, even, even when you get to, to the Sunday games in the ACC, most teams don't have the pitching to, you know, stack up all three days. So that's just something to keep in mind. Once the ACC, um, the schedule gets going, it, it's just, yeah. I mean, the bats, the bats were just great. Yep. Uh, next thing that I really liked bullpen depth. We talked about it in the preseason preview. It looks to be real solid depth. I think there's probably four or five guys that they can throw out there that they feel really, really good about. And that's a huge advantage because even some of the best college baseball teams don't have that bullpen depth. So, I mean, when you talk about guys like Weicker, Whirly, um, you know, if you can throw out Steeg out there, if you can, you know, throw Kiernan Higgins out there, Brady, Brady Kerner, Brady Kerner look good. So that's some really good arms out there. Yeah. I mean, Brady Kerner this weekend and the and last weekend too, against Charles, I mean, he's looked in, in the innings he's thrown, he's looked great. His curveball, his curveball is it's, it's legit. It is pretty good. It's got, it's got really good break. Um, and then he complements that pretty well with with the with a fastball that looks more like a cutter. He calls it a fastball. The team calls it a fastball, but 
he throws it's it's more of a cutter um i think kurtner is a guy who who will be one to take a next to take the next step he'll he hasn't seen the workload or the innings that graham firebed had but i i almost wonder that maybe he's the guy to kind of step up in that role um matthew cyberling he's looked pretty good too a lefty great um, to see him back yeah yeah especially after going through uh, TOS, that's a tough surgery to go through. Um, he was asked to get in out on, I think it was Friday or in, in Sunday, he pitched to one batter, did his job as the lefty specialist. I mean, this bullpen, you can really mix and match the matchups super, super well. Um, I just, I don't know if there's a team that has, maybe they have better arms in the bullpen, but they don't have as much depth as tech does coming back pitching wise this year. Yep, agreed. Um, my third thing that I loved, Drew Hackenberg looks like an all ACC pitcher. Um, I, I know the I know he's not playing uh, Wake Forest or Rake Forest as they call it down here in North Carolina. Uh, he hasn't faced you know Miami, hasn't faced Carolina, but I mean the dude looks every bit of an MLB prospect as a pitcher. Very very excited to see him. He did tail. I mean, along with Griffin Green tailed off a little bit towards the end of last year. And I think that was something going into this year. You're like, okay, like, did he just pitch out of his mind for a bit? And he going to come down or is, what was that with for real? That was for real. This guy's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, Hackenberg, he looked like Vincent Hackenberg. He almost looked like it was the first time he completed seven innings since the Friday Duke game. He pitched at the end of last season. And it looked, uh, excuse me, but it looked like an easy seven innings. Like he wasn't, str- he had through 106 pitches or something. Yeah. But he didn't look to have a huge velo drop off or anything. No, I mean, he looked, the trackman numbers obviously had fallen off. You know, you get a little bit tired. He said he felt great at the end of the game. He said he wasn't tired or anything. Um, he said he probably could have gone out and pitched the eighth, but Tech wanted to shut him down out of precaution to keep him fresh for deep in the season. Totally understandable. Yep. He, but the track man numbers looked close to the same that they did at the beginning of the game. I just, he just, the only words I had, like, it's just, it just looked like vintage Hackenberg. Like he just looked great. A career high 10 strikeouts. The, the sinker was working. The changeup was working. Everything worked for Hackenberg. And I think he's definitely the guy that you saw for 90% of the year last year. The, the first 84 or so innings he threw. He's a guy who, you know, I think one of the new things in baseball is like pitching backwards where you don't have to start fastball, fastball. You can kind of mix around your pitches. I think he, the way he's pitching right now, it looks like he can throw any pitch at any spot to any batter. It's, it's almost like the batter's not even there and he's just warming up pitching. Like he looks to have really good command. He looks comfortable with everything. Again, the, the talent is in a few weeks here. It's about to get real. They're going to play some really good offenses. But so far, he just looks so comfortable. Um, I mean, really, really exciting stuff. Something that needs to improve. Um, what do you What do you think? What do you think? I mean, it's kind of tough this early in the season, so, and considering some of the score lines we've seen. So I, I'll start. I think... Maybe the offense a little bit. I think that they've gotten obviously they've they've put up more runs through eight games this year than they did last year at this point. Mm. But 
and and John Chef will say the same thing. You know, there are a few guys figuring some things out. Carson Jones is figuring his swing out. Hit the grand slam last night. He's looked good in his last two games. Jack Hurley. Jack Hurley's not a guy who will slump. Like he he won't go zero for eighteen. You know, he'll he'll go one for four or one for five with a double. Um, and that's kind of his slump. And Chef said that, you know, Jack's starting to figure things out. Eduardo Malinowski had to, had, it took a few games to figure it out. Malinowski looks pretty good. He had, uh, did he double, he singled home a pair yesterday and then doubled home a pair the other day. Um, he's starting to figure things out. And he said, none of these guys are on the top of their offense, except maybe Christian Martin, who's hitting 500 um, through his first few games. He sat yesterday. Chef said that uh, he had kind of a hamstring issue. Again, nothing major. It's just out of precaution. Um, but to me, I think the offense maybe needs to figure it out. But also, that's that's just baseball. Like last like last year's offense, obviously they had it figured out. There was there was protection everywhere in the lineup. Even the six, seven, eight hole guys. Connor Hardigan and Lucas Donlin, who swapped um, at the DH and rotated through, they they were good hitters and they were your weakest spot in the lineup. I thought that last year, like you just had so much protection in the lineup, and this year, like the bats are great, they're they're good again, but they're not. It's just not the same level it was last year. Yeah, no, I think where we've seen a lot of production from the offense, we've also seen they've been very very reliant on big innings mm-hmm. and you know those big innings happen when you just get to a guy and then they make another bullpen switch and that guy's not really ready to go and then you get at that guy again and you, it snowballs from there when they face some of these better pitching you know staffs when they face guys who can take ground ball singles and oh all of a sudden it's out because the shortstop made a phenomenal play can you can you score six, seven, eight runs without having a five run inning? You know, that's kind of a, every baseball team needs to be able to do that, but we haven't really seen the Hokies do that this year. They've really been a big inning team. So as the season goes on, we'll, we'll look at that personally for me. I think I would like to see the Fridays be a little bit better. Um, I understand it's just two games and Griffin green, like we talked to him box score has probably been a little unkind to him, but you don't want to get in the habit of losing that first game. And Griffin Green's an experienced pitcher. He's a good pitcher. Um, I think he can pitch better. I think the offense on Fridays has been a little sluggish. Um, it seems like they don't have quite the spark that they have on the Saturday and Sunday games. So something to improve. Let, let's have a good performance on, on the Friday games. Um, I don't have a little banner for this, but there are some new rules to college baseball. We talked about pitch comm. Um, college baseball loves making rule changes just in general. Um, what should fans who maybe haven't watched a game yet expect when they do watch a game? Yeah. So I'll start with the action clock. Um, I think you get about 20 seconds in between pitches, um, for an at bat, which no one really likes it for who I, for who I've talked to. No one really likes it. David Bryant yesterday was the only one who has been like, you know, I don't mind the pitch clock um, only because he likes the faster play, pace of play, but a lot of the other hitters, a lot of the other pitchers I've talked to have said they're not fans of it. Carson Martini put it to me this way. If you're a casual fan of baseball and you don't like the extra 15 minutes, why are you watching? Like, 
which I understand, like, I, and I totally get that. Like, what's an extra 15 minutes really going to do? So that's the, that's the new part. And that's why tech had to adopt a pitch comm because it took too long to get the signs down. Um, and there's been a little confusion in the rule, I guess, with the action clock. Uh, you can't step out of the batter's box is the new rule. And the problem in the Friday Charleston game was that you can still put when you when you step into the box for the first time and you're starting your at bat, you're allowed to put your hand up to um, you're allowed to put your hand up to call time to get yourself ready so the pitcher doesn't quick pitch you. The problem, and I think that's why Ty Good settled into such a good such a great groove, is that the home plate umpire wasn't allowing tech hitters to call time. And I not not call time, but you know, let themselves get ready to where good was quick pitching them. And I think that was part of it too. Um so it's just the action clock is interesting, and it's why tech has gone to pitch calm, um, just to you know speed up the not speed up the pace of play, but get the signs there quicker so you don't have a pit so you don't have an action clock violation. Yeah, and it's I'm curious as to why college baseball felt they needed to make that change and, and follow MLB. MLB, look, you might not like it, but they needed it. As someone who watches a lot of baseball for, for work and as a Guardians fan, it, it can get pretty brutal. Um, like watch James Karinchek pitch for the Guardians and tell me that he, he he doesn't need 45 seconds in between pitches. But I'm just curious as to why college baseball, because I never thought pace of play was an issue for baseball. I thought, if anything, the game was significantly faster than what you see at the pro levels. Yeah, I I, I wish I could ask that question. I don't know why. Even last year, like the games, you know, they lasted three hours, anywhere between two and a half to three hours. I don't think the pitch clock has been a huge, or the action clock has been has made a significant difference just because the games are still relatively the same, two and a half, three hours. Yeah. yeah, when you when you score seventeen runs, that kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we're gonna talk about pace of play, let's um, maybe bring in that rule. Uh, but overall, um, people will get used to it and they won't notice it. I think that's what we're gonna see across baseball. Uh, maybe not for some of the old heads for MLB, but for college baseball, I think guys are gonna adapt pretty quickly. Um, let's talk about the hammer. Yeah, let's talk about the hammer. It's it's not controversial or anything. <laughs> um, but so I'll, I'll give the quick story about what was told to me in the offseason, what tech was going to do and what tech has actually done. So what was so I, I reported in the middle of July. Actually, let's start in the super regional. Tech wasn't allowed to swing the hammer in the super regional because the on-site uh, rep said that um, he took he took a meeting that they had not in the wrong way, but that meeting was held because Drew Gilbert of Tennessee flicked off the pitcher in the regional. And so he took those on-field actions um, and understood it and understood that as, and took it to like apply it to the hammer to where tech couldn't swing the hammer on the field. So that's where really that all started. And then tech began the NCAA banned on-field props, which I reported in July, August ish, somewhere in between there. Um, and in that report, I said that tech would be allowed to swing the hammer as many times as it wants, um, in the like cutout portion of the dugout, if you know what I'm talking like the open portion. Um, so they're able to swing it there as many times as they want, but if they bring it two feet outside the dugout 
if they're they can only swing it once and then they get a warning and the next time it's an ejection you know that's how dumb that rule is is a discussion for another day but so it was told to me over the offseason was that tech was going to swing the hammer once get the warning for the first home run of their series and then use a bat and so the bat by some umpires is considered a prop but by some it's not the College of Charleston umpires considered the bat not a prop, so which is that's why you saw um, Jack Hurley and um, Garrett Michelle swing the bat during the Charleston series, and then against ETSU Tech didn't they use the air hammer outside of the dugout because the uh, on Carson Martinez Grand Slam, which was the second of the game, um, because the umpires there interpreted the rule as that the bat was a prop. So flash forward to this weekend, Tech swings the – actually, not even this week. Yeah, this weekend. So Tech did the air hammer on Saturday afternoon in their dugout because the ACC has now asked them to do the celebration inside the dugout from what's been – from what I understand. So they did it with the air hammer, and then on Sunday, they were – now they've started doing the hammer inside the dugout, and they did that yesterday too – um, they, so what they do is once the player crosses home plate and they go to the dugout, someone picks up, um, the removable fence, um, in the dugout, in the, the cutout of the dugout so that the, there's no like injury concern and tech follows every rule that the NCAA has put into place. So that's the long story of what's going on with the hammer now. And I'm sure it'll change three or four different times. before the oh, It's just, it's ridiculous on so, so, so many levels. And we can basically trace it back to being Tennessee's fault. So yeah, blame Tennessee. But uh, I tech does have that like really nice dugout extension almost, which is yeah. part of the dugout. And I remember a couple years ago, it was, I forget which ACC series it was, but the umps were like, yeah, you can't use that. And Tech was like, "It's we're sitting in our dugout. And the umps like made the coaches and on-deck batters move away from that. They actually took the on-deck batter, brought him onto the field of play to start swinging instead of being protected in the dugout portion. And they just have no idea what the rules are and they're making it up as they go along. Credit to Virginia Tech for... Um, quite frankly, a little bit of pettiness as well in there and some hashtag invent the future <laughs> and figuring out a way to do this. And I think, look, if that's the dugout and they're doing it in the dugout, I think that's fine. Um, and you know what? If you're on the road and it doesn't work, an air hammer gets the point across. Mm-hmm. You already hit a home run against these guys. Um, for me, it's I think the hammer part, like the hammer itself is cool, but I think it's more about the whole team coming out there and celebrating with the guy and that kind of energy that they bring is, I guess for the team, maybe a bit more important than the physical hammer. Um, it is need to leave that on the sidelines, you know, not worth an ejection. It is. And John chef put it this way. Like he said, it's the, you know, they're taking away part of tech's identity by, you know, taking away the hammer and on field props. Yep. We will, uh, hopefully this is the solution that makes everybody happy. Doubt it, but <laughs> we'll see. All right, let's wrap it up. Who is your player of the week or weeks? I think you got to go Chris Canazero. I mean, he yep. has been, <laughs> I, I know you picked him, but no, that's, that's the right answer. 
<laughs> I mean, if you hit for the cycle and you're hitting over 400 to start the year and you've hit a few home runs, I th- there's no other solution. Maybe you could argue Drew Hackenberg, who's been great. Uh, Christian Martin also could fit that category. He's also mm-hmm. hitting 500 since he was penciled in the lineup uh, in the Charleston Sunday game. Um, but Canazaro, I mean, man, he's he's been great. A great, a great guy to talk to, too. So nice. Yes, and just a, a phenomenal get in the transfer portal out of Bucknell. The grad transfer stepped in immediately as a starting role. Uh, you know, has a lot of a lot of production was kind of put on his shoulders immediately. Where Tech kind of needs him to play. Maybe not hitting four seventy. That's a little ridiculous, but Tech needs him to be a really good bat. He's right now. He is hitting four seventy with seven extra base hits. He had a cycle with two home runs against Bryant. Um, he's also been pretty good in the field, hundred percent fielding percentage with two outfield assists. So he's doing it all really, really impressive first few weeks and seems to be a great team guy that's fitting into the culture. It's one thing. And I've been really impressed with the program over the last few years is when they bring these guys in from the portal, they all seem to be guys that fit the culture that men like mesh with the team really well. And I think you're seeing that happen on the field. You're seeing a more together team that, you know, all the pieces seem to be really fitting together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ken Azero, uh, what he, 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 he said he lived with, uh, Jack Hurley and another teammate. I forget who it is, but you know, I mean, the players live together. They're all, they're together all the time. So not only are they teammates, they've, you know, kind of become good friends too. And I think that's what pushed tech over the finish line last year was, you know, the fact that all these guys were super, super close and they're all friends. And I think you're seeing that kind of sprinkle over to this year's team with all the guys who have come in. Um, and, you know, the team chemistry has just been, I, I think that's truly the key. Like that's been the key, the key to tech success of the past few years. Really quickly, we'll look at the games coming up for the Hokies. They have a three-game series at home against Charlotte. Really good Charlotte team that started the season off well. That's another opportunity to get a series win against a potential tournament team. Then uh, two games in the midweek against UMass Lowell, who is will be basically them and Bryant for the American East title. So a little bit tougher midweek games, but two games that you would expect the Hokies to play well in. And then March 10th through March 12th, ACC play starts. The Hokies will host Boston College. Boston College not expected to do too much in the ACC, but still an uptake in competition for the Hokies and a chance to get off on the right foot in the ACC. Real quick thoughts on those. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte's going to be, that's going to be another NCAA tournament. They made the tournament last year. I don't know. I don't know what they were projected this year. I haven't done any like research into it yet. Um, I've been a bit busy. Um, they're, they're good. That's, yeah. that's I mean, good. it'll be good. It'll be, it'll be good competition for tech. Um, UMass Lowell also the return of Fritz Genther. Um, yes. Who's, who's there? Uh, shortstop for tech that played uh, in Blacksburg from 2020 to 2021. Um, and then Boston College. I mean, again, like, like you said, yeah, they weren't projected to do well in the ACC, but it's an ACC team. It's, it's an uptick in competition. And I'm sure they're itching to, to, um, you know, get started with uh, the conference schedule too. Should be fun. Really excited for it. Um, the Hokies off to a great start. Number 11 in the country now. Chris, where can the people find you on Twitter? 
They can follow they can follow me on uh, Twitter at Chris Hirons, H-I-R-O-N-S-V-T. And you can find all my recaps and all my feature stories on Tech Sideline. Great. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back on. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk more Hokies baseball. Till then. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Have a good day, everybody. Time to wander, tripping in the sand We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand But I saw you dance like you want to in my head And all that she said is Oh, I know it's what you're thinking Please don't go to sweat Trash my friend's place, wake up the next day Take a hit, it started